And we sit down and he gets enraged and he grabs his machine gun and he is pointing his machine gun at us and everybody on the bus starts panicking. to you Dan. Top of the morning to you Brad. Welcome to season two of Wrong Place Right Time. Um, I know you've got some stories in mind that we've discussed a little bit today and I can't wait to hear a couple of these stories. So I know it's going to go along with um, you know our theme. Yep. But tell us a little bit about what what's coming up. Um, we're going to talk about crossing boundaries. I can't <laughs> wait to get into it. So uh, Buckle in, listeners, and enjoy uh, Dan's stories coming up this morning. All right. Yes. Um, well, I'd say, Brad, when I was young, uh, I was pretty much isolated, fairly isolated in my young years from probably growing up from when I was born through my early teens, um, didn't cross a lot of boundaries. Uh, stayed playing in my house, in the backyard, didn't have a lot of friends, uh, didn't really uh, take a lot of chances socially at yeah. all. I like the way yeah. you say take chances. Um, crossing the boundaries sometimes has a real negative connotation, kind of like, kind of like a disrespectful kind of thing, but that's not what you're talking about at all. No. Uh, and, and I think uh, it's more like, well, let me give you a little story about when I was young. This could be an image for what I'm talking about. Uh, when I was little, we would, one of the things that I did like about uh, my family, my dad would take us out into the wilderness and to camp, you know, or into the forest or the desert and I always enjoyed those times. Uh, and so one time when I was very little, uh, probably, mm, I want to say five or six years old, we went out camping. Uh, I have no idea where it was, probably in Colorado somewhere. And we were near uh, a river. Well, see, it, it was a river to me. I, it was pretty good size. And my brother and I decided to go hang out and mess around by the river. And so we went down to the river and uh, it, it wasn't really deep, but it was rushing pretty good. And uh, we decided we were going to cross the river. Um, so let's cross the river. And we didn't know what we were getting into. You know, we were, just wanted to get to the other side. And that's kind of what my, my life is like. So we started crossing. My brother was old, is older than me. And, and, uh, we got to about the middle and it was really rushing for us. And I was like, I got scared and I'm like, we're not going to make it. And so in the middle, I felt my feet starting to get swept away. And my brother was a little farther on than I, and I grabbed this, this boulder, this big rock, and I was just holding onto it. My feet kind of swept out. And I'm holding on the rocks, yelling for my brother. I go, I'm gonna drown. <laughs> and my shoes came off, and they just <laughs> took off down down the river. 
you know, and, and in those days, one of my thoughts immediately was, boy, I'm going to get in trouble for losing my shoes. I'm going to get really get a whipping. And uh, my brother came over and, and he tried to reach for me and I, I couldn't hold the rock and I let go. And I didn't know how to swim. And uh, I went underwater and I was being swept down by oh, this you river. Didn't, you didn't know how to swim. No. And yeah, that's a, that paints a whole new picture. That paints a whole new picture of crossing boundaries when you don't know how to swim. You either learn or you die. <laughs> and I almost drowned. It was my first experience with almost drowning. And luckily, the uh, I bounced along the bottom for a while. And then the river the way it turned or whatever washed me up on, on some gravel or washed me close to some gravel and I got out and I was actually, it, my shoes went that direction too. So I was able to find my shoes. You found your shoes. Yes. And I didn't right. get in trouble for that, but I was entirely soaked and, and, and sputtering. And so that was kind of, uh, an early experience, like don't cross boundaries because you could die. You know, this is something tough, but I didn't learn that lesson very well. And when we moved from Minnesota to uh, California, we, we went by car and we stopped at the Colorado river for uh, just a few hours to refresh ourselves. And we were swimming in the Colorado river. Same thing happened to me. I, I was go I, really wasn't a good swimmer at all. And so I was just wading out farther and farther. And uh, at one point I was probably 30, 40 feet from shore and everybody else was sitting on the shore and I was out there and I went off a ledge. I, you know, I could touch the bottom and then I backed up a little bit and I went down about a foot hmm. and my, I went under and then I, I'm like, oh no, I, what am I going to do? And I went down, touched bottom a foot lower, and I pushed off the bottom and came up and took a breath. And then I, I was doing that for a while. Like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just pushing off the bottom and trying to catch my breath. And I'm yelling to my brothers. And they thought I was screwing around. <laughs> so they're pointing and they're laughing at me. And then finally, my stepmother, Inez, she figures out, I'm not screwing around. He's drowning. He's going to drown. And so she actually swam out there and, and saved my life and uh, grabbed me and pulled me into shore. And I was, I was coughing and sputtering. I'm like yelling at my brother. Why are you you're crying and yelling at them? Why are they laughing at me? And they thought, they thought I was screwing around, which I often am, um, by the way, wasn't on them that I, <laughs> that I almost drowned. But these are, you know, those are examples of like, for me, boy, crossing boundaries was like, don't do that because you're risking your life. And, and yet for some reason, I, Brad, just never, you just learned help. that lesson. You couldn't help yourself. <laughs> I can't help and you myself. still can't. Yes. <laughs> and now I'm even more uh, prone to crossing boundaries, but that, those were some of the stories. And then we talked a little bit about my introduction to the church before that I knew nothing about God or, or church and, and coming into the church was like a whole different culture to me uh, that I wasn't used to. And, and so I, a whole different opportunity to whole, cross boundaries. Yeah, and I actually crossed boundaries into the church and like, okay, I like, I like some of this stuff and uh, they're kind and they, 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 they care about me and, 
And so the church became one of those first places where I was actually crossing boundaries outside of my world with my family. And, and in school, I didn't cross a lot of boundaries. I didn't have a lot of friends, but, uh, but at church, I made a lot of friends and, and actually started relating to other adults besides my parents. That was, Mm -hmm. that was a big boundary crosser for me. You know, I, before that it was only my my parents and I didn't relate to them that much. I tried to avoid them uh, more than that. And so the church world became uh, a place where I started crossing into a different culture. And I, and so I guess I started learning that, Hey, I can make that transition and, and there are some risks, but not, it's not always something bad like crossing a river that I might drown. And so one of the big, first big boundaries, let's talk uh, cultural boundaries besides the church that I crossed was when I was in my uh, late teens, the church was sponsoring people to go to Guatemala uh, to do a short-term mission in the jungle of Guatemala with a missionary. Turns out it was a, a... Mennonite missionary who used to be Amish and he was in the middle of the jungles of Guatemala. (laughs) And so we're like, the church is like, we're going to send a couple of you down there to go see this guy and work with him for this summer in the jungles of Guatemala. You know, how many were they going to send? There were three of us and two of of us decided to take the trip uh, first. And so we went by train through Mexico and then we got a bus in Mexico city. And we went by bus from Mexico city to Guatemala city. This must've been your first Spanish speaking experience. Was it not? It was definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, um, the, and I've told this story. I don't think I've told this story here, but this is a huge, good story for what uh, wrong place, right time. So this was back in the late seventies and our church is like, you know, they're, they don't know anything. They're just like, yeah, you're going to go to Guatemala, work with this missionary. Well, it turns out there was a civil war going on in Guatemala at the oh, time. Gosh. Was that uh, Efren uh, uh, Rios Mont? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was a civil war. And, yeah, and, yeah. and so we go through Mexico, we get this bus, and we get to the border of Mexico. And we're on this big bus. And we have our bags down below in the baggage compartment. And we are carrying this huge uh, sledgehammer because the missionary wanted a big sledgehammer. We probably could have bought it down there, but we didn't we we didn't know anything about this other world of Mexico and Guatemala. Like they have nothing. So we got to take care. This seems like a very strange place for your church to send you to. (laughs) It was a very strange place. And I never even had any missionary. We had no experience with anything. But we were were late teens. We were like, we're going to do it. And so me and, and Jimmy Cameron, and, and uh, we, so we head down there and we get to the border and all our stuff and everything's fine. And our Spanish from high school is okay. We think it's okay, but it's not great. And at the border, they decide to check everything in the bus before people could cross the border. And there are a lot of soldiers around and we're like, wow, they have a lot of soldiers at the border and they all have guns they're all with machine guns or rifles and 
one of those soldiers gets on the bus and he stands in front and he has a machine gun around his neck. And we're like, oh my gosh. And he's, and he spits out this Spanish and we understand none of it. It's like, whoa, we have no clue. So he's like, (laughs) and he yells it out to the bus and everybody's just sitting there. And so we're just sitting there and we're looking around, kind of looking for signals from what people do. And they're all just sitting there. And then he goes, and he starts getting a little perturbed and he goes, and he's, and he's kind of looking at us. So we're like, Oh, he's looking at us. So we are toward the back of the bus and we stand up in our seats just to check. And so we stand up and we're like looking at him and he, and this is where crossing boundaries can become very dangerous because you don't know everything about that culture. And there are a lot of things that you assume are the same, but are different. And one of the things that people assume that is the same between our culture and, and, and another culture is body language. And body language is not the same. And so for us in the United States, if you want to say to someone, come here, You'll hold your hands toward your fingers toward the sky and you'll wave your hand toward you. But in Latin America and in Mexico, you will hold your hand the opposite out with your fingers toward the sky and you will wave downward towards you to come here. And so this guy does that and he waves his hand really hard downward. And we're thinking in our culture, that means sit down. And so we're like, oh, we're happy to comply. We don't want to make this guy angry. We sit down. He gets even angrier. Blah, 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 blah. He's yelling at it. And, and we're looking around. People are starting to look at us. The other the Latinos on the bus. And, and so we stand up again. And we're looking around. We are getting nervous. And he, with his heart, his hand as hard as he can, does that same action and waves his hand downward and we're like okay we're sitting down forget it (laughs) and we sit down and he gets enraged and he grabs his machine gun and he is pointing his machine gun at us and everybody on this bus starts panicking and getting scared and the people behind us and they grab us and the people inside us and they all grab us and stand us up and push us into the aisle. And we're going down the aisle. They're pushing. They're pushing. They're like, we're not going to get shot for you. And they're pushing us toward this guy. And he's got his machine gun in our face. And we climb off the bus and we're like, oh, no, we're in big trouble. And basically, they just wanted to go open up our bags and see what we had because the handle for this sledgehammer was sticking out of our hands. And so we go down there and we open it up and they look at everything. And eventually... Uh, they let us back on the bus. But this is where crossing boundaries, if you don't understand what's on the other side, you turn out to be in the wrong place. And it probably wouldn't. It was the right time to go to Guatemala for me, but man, was it the wrong place to have a machine gun uh, pointing uh, there, in, there in are, your face. There are not many of us who've had a machine gun pointed. Yeah, we, wow. we were so, I can't, even imagine I can't believe we like. didn't pee our pants. It was so, it was pretty, pretty traumatic. And, uh, and, and then we got back on the bus and continued on with our trip. And we went to Guatemala City, eventually flew to the jungle. I have a whole bunch of stories about that, but I, I think I'm going to stick with our theme. Uh, 
although all of that was crossing boundaries. Um, I think another area where I uh, was forced to cross boundaries that I didn't actually ask to or volunteer for was with mental illness. My, my, my mother was bipolar and uh, struggled with bipolar. And severely. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm sure I crossed boundaries early on in my ages one through four that I can't remember. <laughs> I can remember little bits. And I don't, uh, I remember crossing uh, with her, crossing the cultural boundary between white Americans and black Americans. And we were staying with her in a black uh, home, African-American home in, in Oakland. But I don't remember a lot about that. Uh, just remembered I almost started a fire in their living room because <laughs> I was a pyro. We talked about that, I think. And uh, anyway, we ended up being sent back on, on, on the plane by ourselves back to Denver because uh, my mom couldn't handle us somehow. And But I remember that early on. But that was kind of forced by, by my mom's choices, not uh, that she would just go all over the place with us. And then when my mom came back into my life, Brad, was when I was probably 20, well, came back to live with us, let's say. And that was when I was 23 or so. And you were married? Yeah, I was married. We had one daughter and my wife was pregnant. And that reinduced me to life with a bipolar uh a person that struggles with bipolar uh, illness. And boy, did I cross a lot of boundaries <laughs> with that. Crossed in, my mom would be homeless for a while when she would be going around, she would be homeless and on the streets. And so I crossed into that culture of homelessness and people on the streets. Uh, she would be eventually be, almost become catatonic from her sickness. And then she would be put in inpatient, which we called the lockup facility because you had to go through all these uh, locked doors to get to visit my mom. And she would be there for three months at a time, two or three months. And that was a whole different culture there. I often say that when we, my brother and I would go into a lockup facility, the first person we would meet would be either Jesus or Satan. Uh, because that's the first. Usually, that would be the first person that would speak to us and say, "I'm, I'm Jesus. Do you want to? You want? Let me, let me teach you." Or, I, you know, or someone who was almost sounded possessed. I'm Satan. I'm gonna, you know. And and we would often meet that person in these facilities, <laughs> and so that was a very much crossing boundaries uh, mo moments for us. And but I. Believe it or not, I actually became used to going into mental hospitals after a while. Um, I started learning the culture, started learning what I could say or the ways I could stand or act that would either be welcoming to, to people that struggle with mental illness or be a threat. And um, my mom she thrived in that culture. She was like the queen, mm -hmm. <laughs> the queen of the lockup. One, one reason was that we would bring her cigarettes and cigarettes were the currency mm -hmm. of those places. And she would get like this 
couple cartons from my brother and she would become the queen and she would rule everybody else because she had cigarettes and she could well that's the you know yeah, yeah the movie uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest that was the same yeah, yeah yeah very much and and so uh when you and 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 so i learned a lot about uh her culture just from being forced to because she was my family i love my mom i wanted to care for her so she 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 introduced me to places that i if i didn't have a mom with mental illness i never would have crossed those boundaries now i i will cross those boundaries on my own i i will relate to people yeah you have some familiarity on the street with it. Yeah. or there's uh i have a little bit of a cultural familiarity yeah, whatever you say. Familiarity. <laughs> I can't Repeat say that after me. This early, I can't. <laughs> familiar. I cannot, Brad. Wow. I can speak Spanish, but I can't <laughs> say that. Okay. Um, and so that, you know, and so I think one of the things in my life, one of the gifts that I feel like I've seen and that I have is trying to introduce people to different cultures, different economic boundaries, you know, try to help people cross boundaries. Maybe in some ways I'm a coyote, like uh, crossing the border, they have coyotes, which are coyotes who take people across the Mexican border into the United States. I'm trying to do that in a spiritual uh, kind of intellectual way is, is introduce people to other groups of people mm -hmm. that they don't know or that mm -hmm. I think they should be caring for or learn from. And so I do that in, in, in the church a lot. I, I try to draw people into crossing those boundaries yeah. and say, you know, you can learn a lot about your faith. You can learn a lot about Jesus's teaching by crossing these boundaries. So let me, I'll share, I want to share one story from when I was teaching in Guadalajara, in, sorry, in Yucatan. Mexico, which I talked about having typhoid and giving to the girls on the bus. But I was teaching at a seminary down there training pastors. And I've always wanted to teach in a way that that's different for that involves your body, involves uh, you doing something rather than just listening to something and spitting out the right words. And so I was teaching a class on the New Testament for these pastors and uh, we can't, I said, I, I said to myself, I want a passage where we don't study it. We, we actually do this to learn it. And so I looked for a passage and I found one in, excuse me, in the book of Luke. And it's a passage where Jesus is sitting uh, down at a, at, at a party at a meal. And he says to the person giving the meal says, when you give a party, don't invite your rich friends or your neighbors, because they'll just invite you back and you'll be paid off. But when you give a party, invite the poor and the lame and the maimed and the blind, and they will not be able to pay you back, but your reward will be great when you in heaven. And it goes something like that. I, mm -hmm. That's not word for word, but Jesus, it's a teaching. So mm -hmm. I say, this is a great passage. Uh, so I go to my, my New Testament class and I say to my students, okay, this week we are not going to study 
or do exegesis or find out what the original Greek said about a passage. We're going to take this passage from Luke, and I read it to them. I said, we're going to learn this passage by simply obeying it, by doing it. We're going to have one of these parties. Mm -hmm. And so we decided we're going to have a party for the poor and the lame and the blind and the maimed. And in Mexico, as I've described before, they, these people are often congregate around the Zocalo, uh, which is the main square of many Mexican cities, where there's a big cathedral and the government buildings are located. But often people congregate down there who, who beg for alms, who are poor, who are lame, blind, maimed. Uh, these people, sick people, they congregate down there. So I say to my class, and we're we're meeting outside of Merida, which is the city we were in. We were on the outskirts. And I say, okay, we are going to throw a party for these people downtown. And so they go, okay, well, what do we do first? And we go, okay, we're going to go downtown and invite a bunch of people to a party. And we're going to look for a place to rent. And so we look, we're looking for a place to rent that's close to downtown so they don't have to travel. And we're going to throw rent that place and we're going to throw a big party for them. We're going to go down and invite them to the party a week ahead of time and say, next week we're having this party over here. And so I take my probably 15, 10 to 15 students and we get in, on the bus and we go down to the Zocalo right in the center of town of the city. And we have these little flyers that we printed up that say, welcome to the party. We're going to have food, music, desserts, you name it, games. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> and we take these flyers and we go around the whole Zocalo, the few blocks around that where people are begging and there's a lot of poor people. And we invite them all. And it turns out we end up by inviting about 50 people. And we're like, okay, 50 people. We're going to throw a party for 50 people. And we are certain that since they're poor and they're begging for money, that they will happily come to this party. We're just certain of it. And so we go back to class. And our next class period, we start planning this party. We divide up. Some people are going to bring food. Other people, desserts. I guess that's food also. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some people are going uh, to do the music. Other people are the group that are going to decorate the room. We did actually end up renting a room right near the Zocalo, not far away. And so, uh, and then other people are going to bring the, the, the dishes and we have everything covered. And so we plan all of that out throughout the week and comes Friday when we're going to have a party and we go down, bring all of our stuff downtown, got our food. We got our, we get the hall set up. We, we've set up tables for 50 people. <laughs> you know, we're just like, we're ready. Streamers, everything. The music's blaring. We're like, this is great. And we wait because we said the party's at this time, you know, and in Mexico, Time doesn't mean a lot as far as when you get there. You actually get there a little late all the time. And we wait. And we wait. And then maybe a couple people show up. Two people show up. And we invite them in. We're like, good, I'm glad. The rest of the people should be here in, in no time. And, and the, we wait. 
and we wait and we still have two people. And there's a, a, a guy who's totally bombed. He's totally drunk and laying on the sidewalk just like a little ways away. So we go, well, we'll get him. And we go out there <laughs> and we wake that guy up and he's just totally sloshed. And we bring him into the party and sit him down. And and uh, we send people out to go get the people we invited who all said, yes, they were going to come. And this is one of the things that I've learned in, in Mexico yeah. that they will say yes. And then that doesn't mean anything <laughs> that they're going to come or not to yeah. something. And none of couldn't get anybody to come to the party. And so go back and we have three people and we're sitting at the party and we're ready for 50 people. And we have three people at our party. And I'm like, Oh boy, this was a failure of my teaching. This didn't come out well at all. Why did we do this and not study it? I was really kind of upset by this. Mm. And we, we did the party anyway. We enjoyed the food. The people that were there had the drunk guy gets up at one point and holds up his hands and does a benediction over us. He <laughs> blesses us with this drunken benediction, which is pretty interesting. I'm like, well, okay, maybe that's pretty good for my students. And, um, but I had felt like this boundary, crossed this boundary, and I, we just shouldn't have been there. Wrong place. It was the right time to love people and have, and throw them a party, but the wrong place to do it. And we go back, and on Monday, we have our next class. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm going to ask my students what they learned. And they're going to go, we learned nothing. You know, I felt like. And so I went into class, and I said to my students, what did you learn by doing this as opposed to studying it? And one of the guys in my class sitting toward the back, I don't know what it is, I think maybe David or something, he raised his hand and I'm like, David, what did you learn? And David was like, well, I learned that Jesus probably wants us to be friends with these people because if we're not friends with them, they don't trust us enough to come to our party. And so therefore they're, They've been so abused and mistreated throughout their lives that they don't trust people. And if they don't know us from anything, so when we invite them to the party, they didn't trust us, and so they didn't come to our party. So I think Jesus might be teaching us that maybe we need to become friends with the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And when we're friends with them, they will actually come to our party. And I was blown away. I just like almost... I had to almost wow. sit down. I just thought that was the most profound thing that I could have heard about this passage, mm -hmm. that you could study it forever and you would probably never come up with that interpretation. But we had experience trying to do this and we hit a roadblock. But the roadblock was probably, according to this student, pushing us into a relationship with these people. And that was that was fantastic. I just was like, I couldn't believe what he he had learned. And other people said other things, but that was that was really stuck with me. Like, yes, we did it. It felt wrong because it, we didn't get the response we wanted. But in the long term, it probably told these students, if I want to follow Jesus, I need to start making relationships mm -hmm. with people 
that are outside of my comfort zone. Wow, that's pretty profound. That is, I'm sure when you heard that, you thought, well, this wasn't all, <laughs> this wasn't a waste after all. Yes, yeah. I was like very encouraged and, and it was like, okay, this, we did learn something and, yeah. and something did come out of it and it was something profound. And so, uh, and so I've tried to do a lot of that with people in the church is, is, is draw them across boundaries into other groups. And I'll share one last uh, story in this set uh, that I've done recently, that happened recently. I became a, a, a teacher at a, 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 a private high school, a Christian high school in uh, Denver, well, in Arvada, and um, Colorado, Colorado, and one of the and they asked me to do a chapel service to speak at the chapel service for the school, and so I'm like, okay, and I get all fancy and creative, <laughs> and I'm like, I know it all, I know what I'm going to do. I said I'm going to dress up like a homeless person and sit in front of the school in the morning when people are coming to school and see what their reaction is to me. And I had a feeling that it would be a very, they wouldn't react well to me. So so I, I didn't share this idea with, I shared it with one other teacher, Randy, and I said, I, you know, I wanna do this, and then I wanna teach on that in chapel, whatever happens. And he's like, oh, I don't know. He says, you're gonna, oh, the parents and the, you're gonna have the police here. And, you better tell the, at least tell the principal. And so uh, I did. I ended up uh, Michael telling telling Michael the principal said I want to do this. I'm going to do this. Please don't tell anybody else. He said, Well, I'm just going to tell the security guard so that he doesn't uh, yeah. come out and yeah. <laughs> call the police That's or try idea. to get you off the sidewalk in front of the school. <laughs> and so uh, and and so nobody else knew and. Uh, came the morning of chapel and I I got there really early and I got I found a shopping cart somewhere in the neighborhood and I put a bunch of junk in there and put like a sleeping bag in there that I brought and I dressed up myself where this is before COVID it was about a year or a year and a half before COVID and I put a mask on my face because I didn't want the students recognizing my mustache so uh, I put a mask on. I what put kind a, of mask? It was like a, a like a, I, you know, like a not a COVID, dust, not a COVID mask. It, it was, was more like a dust mask kind of thing, okay. like you'd use in construction. Okay. Right. But it was weird. It was weird that it was before. And then I put a stocking cap on. I had some fake hair coming out. I, I I put this this old clothes on that were dirty and really dressed myself up mm -hmm. and. And so people couldn't recognize me. And then I, I pushed my cart at the right time. I pushed my cart around from behind the school and I pushed it in front and in front of the parking lot and, and sat right on the sidewalk next to where people, <laughs> students would drive into the parking lot. <laughs> and I was so nervous. I'm like, oh, this is scary doing this. And it's very much crossing boundaries being, you know, it's putting myself in the shoes of someone else and seeing how people react to you, which is actually, you should try sometime saying this to my viewers because it's very profound. And uh, most of the students would 
ignore me. You know, as they're driving, they would turn their heads. Some one student, uh, set of students were driving into the starting to come into the parking lot, saw me immediately turned their car and went around to the other side of the school to drive into the parking lot. But then there were some students that got were brave enough and they like they came out there and said, sir, he, here's here's some. So they would share a little bit of their lunch. A few students shared their lunch with me. Some one student gave me like five bucks. Um, another couple students said, could, could we pray with you? And I'm trying to hide my identity and say, yeah, you can change your voice. Pray yeah. with me. And, 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 they, and they did, but the large majority of students would like avoided me or push off. And what I didn't know was going on in the background was parents were complaining. Some parents were complaining, telling the principal and the security guard to call the police uh, shouldn't be in front of the school, this guy. And and so there was all this other stuff going on <laughs> behind the scenes. Wow. People were, some people were upset. Some people were excited. Some people, you know, it was, it was quite a fiasco, but I'm just sitting there and I, I don't know what's happening uh, uh, at the, in the greater level around me. And then um, the students go into class and I get up and I push my cart and I slowly work my way down the street and at the corner, one of the the parents of the one of the students actually stopped and said, "Hey, I want I want to I want to give you this stuff." And this parent had gone to Target and bought a bunch of stuff and came back and was like giving me this brand new blanket and all this food. And I'm 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 thinking right now I should reveal who I am because I'm this is weird, but I couldn't I, like, I got to stay in, in character. And so I received all this stuff from this, this parent and she, and then kept going with my shopping cart and she drove away. And uh, later that student, it was in my class and they're like, my, you know, when they found out it was me, she was kind of upset. <laughs> uh, my mom wants this stuff back. Yeah. I was like, and whoever gave you five bucks, <laughs> any well, I'll, I'll I'll go over the 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 story. So so then I got I put away the shopping cart, got all my stuff, put in my car, and and uh, got out of my costume and went back to the school. And I went to my class, and I was in my class, and kids were talking. Did you see that homeless person in front of the school this morning? And I'm like, no, I didn't see any. And they're like, yeah, I was sitting right out front. I thought the police were going to come and people were talking about it. And then came chapel time and we went, all went to chapel and I walked up in front of chapel and I said, there's been a lot of talk about a homeless person in front of the school this morning. And, and so I want to talk about that in chapel. And I said, that homeless person was me. And I, then mm -hmm. I went, and, and this student is Mr. Z. And I went on to share with them how, how they treated that homeless person was how they treated me. And that Jesus says, when you see people who are sick or hungry or naked or in prison and you don't do anything, you, you, you disrespect Jesus. You don't do anything for Jesus. And if you do something, you are caring for him. And I said, and so I kind of took that and said, you know, when you see someone out there that's asking for something or someone in need, that's and you don't care for them, you're not caring for Mr. Z. The, and they I was a I was a, a popular teacher that they really liked. Mm -hmm. And so they 
it really worked. And I give this whole sermon on, on, and next time you see someone, remember, it could be one of your teachers. It could be one of, it could be Jesus too. And well, which is exactly what the scripture says. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. what Jesus when is you, teaching. Like, yeah, when you care for one of these, yeah and and in order to do that i think that's what i wanted to teach them by this experiment in order to do that you have to cross boundaries you have to take risks it's a risk for the students that came and talked to me that's a risk and one of the ways they were able to handle that risk is they did it in pairs two or three students together and i say if you want to cross boundaries if you want to reach people that you are totally outside of your comfort zone do it with somebody else, you know, go with a partner. I've often, I've done some of these things by myself and it is scary. I, I've stood Brad on a street corner with a sign as cars go by for hours, mm -hmm. just cause I wanted to see what it felt like. And people will flip you off. Yeah. People will give you dirty looks. Other people will give you money and, and, and try to encourage you. Yeah. But the vast majority of people, will ignore you. And I think for me being ignored was like, it was heavy. And I thought, how does a person who's got a sign standing on a corner do this all day? This is, this they're getting a lot of negative mm -hmm. vibes pointed their direction. Yeah. And rejection and all kinds of, even abuse. Yeah. And, and so we often think, well, if I don't have anything to give, I, I shouldn't pay attention to this person. But sometimes you could just roll down the window and say, Hey, how's it going? Or I see you look at them, nod your head, smile, just acknowledge that they are human beings. Mm -hmm. um, because in, and I know many of you listening may not agree with this, but in, in some ways it's a vocation that reminds you that Jesus is in the poor and the lame and the blind and the prisoner and the naked, that Jesus is calling for us to care for those people, to have compassion. And in some ways, those people on the street, although you would say they do nothing, they just beg for money, they're freeloaders, some of us would say, but in some ways that is can be seen as a vocation that wakes us up to what the real world is about, what the kingdom of God is about. I'm preaching. <laughs> Those are my stories. Some of my stories yeah. about crossing boundaries where I end up in the wrong place. And it feels very much like the wrong place. Just sitting in front of a school as a homeless person. Oh, it feels so, feels so awkward. It's so hard. <laughs> but I did it in order to, to wake my students up. And, and I'm getting the, the picture, the image of what that was like. And, but some of the responses, and I shouldn't be surprised or necessarily appalled, but just the, the, some of their responses back to you as if there were a, I don't know, like a, like somehow a homeless person in front of the school was such a threat. I mean, what, what causes us to feel that way? That someone asked, you know, begging or, you know, homeless or, looks like they don't have anything in front of a public place you feel like you have to remove well and i i kind of do understand that response simply because schools are so much about safety these days because of all the mass shootings there's so much uh yeah. awareness and uh, of, of of safety but i think 
that oftentimes schools take a wrong turn where they try to barricade themselves inside and make sure everything, every entrance, every possibility is blocked from anything strange happening. Yeah, and not just school. and not just schools. And, yeah, I mean, and, and we're seeing that. Yeah. In, you know, we're seeing that problem in downtown Denver with just residents who. You know, they don't want homeless people near their neighborhoods and, you know, creating laws that and it, it's not an easy it's not an easy topic. But yeah. And for me, with the school, I mean, my uh, my strategy that I, I tried to put to the school was that the best strategy is not to cloister ourselves inside and separate ourselves from the neighborhood around us. But for me, the best strategy is to get out into the neighborhood, get to know our neighbors and the, the people around us, the people on the street, the people in the businesses, people in houses. So we would go out in my class. I would take them out and we would and when it snowed, we would snow shovel the neighborhoods around the school. Um, I would take my students in Spanish out into the businesses of the neighborhood to look for Spanish speakers. And many of the businesses had people who spoke Spanish. And I would say, could you give us a tour of your business in Spanish for my Spanish students? And for me, the idea was we'll be much safer and better school in our neighborhood if we connect with our neighborhood, if we get to know the people that are there and even the people that are hurting and needy in our neighborhood, but that takes risks and that takes crossing boundaries. And oftentimes parents and administration of schools, they, that's too risky for them. And, and that's what happened with my school. And I, I don't blame them. They're just so focused on security that going off school grounds into the streets is it, for them is they see it as a security nightmare. But for me, it's actually the solution to a problem of, of, of feeling like everybody's at any moment, some disaster could happen. And it is, it's a, it's a risk. I'll tell you a story. You can, you can cut this out or (laughs) use it, but maybe it applies. Um, A few summers ago, and again, this was before COVID as well. I had a group of uh, four young people, all under 20, who were homeless. And this is in the suburbs. This is in, in Arvada, Colorado. And there was a bank across the street from where I lived. And there was a, a lawn area that they just thought was a comfortable place that they literally came to every day. They mm-hmm. sat on this hill mm-hmm. and, you know, when they, during the day, they would find a street corner and, and probably go to different street corners and, and ask for money. Mm-hmm. And, but they they kept coming back to this hill right just across the street from my house for i you know i saw them there for several days and i decided one day one afternoon i went over and took them some food and just sat down with them mm. just sat down with them scary and, right yeah you, and, like uh, you know you don't know what did you feel about you that? don't know what's going to happen and but i just uh, decided i was going to lead a conversation ask them ask them about themselves mm. And uh, what were their stories? Mm -hmm. You know, these young 18, 19 year olds, it turns out, you know, and they each told me their story. There was one, one guy who was very, his name was David, very untrusting of me though, you know, really kind of resentful. 
that I even came out. Mm. Like, you don't, you know, kind of an attitude like you, why are you even here? You don't understand anything about us. Mm. But the other three were more than willing to tell their stories. And, um, uh, I, I continued to visit them a couple more times. And, and, and like the third time that I visited them, I said, Hey, uh, why don't you guys think about coming over to my house for a cookout one night? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one night that you're here, we planned a night for them to come over Well, they all came. Wow. They all came. They, uh, uh, we had hamburgers, and hot dogs at my house. We ended up playing a game together. Nice. And um, a couple of them took showers. You know, it, my house got cleaned up, and uh, uh, you know, developed a friendship with them. And uh, wouldn't you know it, David, the most untrusting one of all, was the one who I became the closest with. Mm. And uh, I, I ended up. It was over the course of a summer. Um, ended up taking him to driving him to, he had to be in court. You know, he had, he had been arrested or he was on probation or something. And a a couple of times, if he wouldn't have made his court appearance, they would have put him in jail. Mm -hmm. So I took him down to court. I had a lawn service, you know, it must've been during COVID. It was during COVID, I guess, because I had, I I had a lawn service and David needed money. So I asked him, I asked him if he wanted to, if he wanted to work with me. Mm Mm-hmm. And for a couple of weeks, he worked with me for uh, every day. Good worker, really good worker. Uh, got him some clothes. He went out on job interviews, trying to get work. Um, and again, you don't know what the end result is going to be with something like this, because you know this. You know these relationships are likely not going to go on forever, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. These kids moved on to another part of town. I did find out where they were, and I visited them a couple of times. Well, it's a chance you took, Brad, yeah, and yeah. I, I guess I would ask you, um, how did you see it changing you? How did it, yeah. what did it do inside of you as far as that, taking well, that risk and making that connection? This is, Dan, I really feel this is at the core of who we are as humans. This is, this sort of thing is actually what, what we're created, what, what really makes our heart glad, mm-hmm. what really makes a person's heart glad is, is getting outside of themselves and being true, real neighbors. Mm-hmm. And until, you know, if, if, if that's not a part of our lives, I think there's always going to be an anxiety in us. There's always going to be, a, I don't know, almost a, um, just a dissatisfaction with who we are. Mm-hmm. Because the way we're literally made, the way the way that we really find happiness and joy, is by being good neighbors. And if we're not doing that, there's an absence of something very deep that right. needs to be satisfied in us. And and yeah, every time we extend ourselves like that, mm-hmm. I think it meets something in us that you know creates a joy. That, that really is a joyous thing. Great. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So. Wrong place, maybe, <laughs> but it could be the right time to transform you into a person of compassion. Could be the right time for you to learn something from somebody outside of your comfort zone. Could be the right time to make a transition in your own life. And uh, so don't be afraid of the wrong place. Could be the right time. Thank you for. Uh, being here, Brad. Thanks, Dan. I never know how to end these things. Another episode, (laughs) another episode.
All right. Yeah, it's rainy here in Arvada, Colorado, so don't get too wet on the way. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Cue the music.